He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, April 30, 2022. Goodbye, April. We are done with you. Episode 94 is just beginning. And it's a doozy with my friend Jay Kyle Backus, a show dedicated to his mother, the late Margaret Backus. You know Kyle. He's that handsome guy who uh, smiles at you on buses, billboards, and television, standing next to his partner, Darren Shanker. I've known Kyle a long time. Darren, too. Back in 1996, I left the Denver DA's office where the only thing I did was fight for victims, try to get them some justice. So when I left, it seemed natural to go into the civil practice of law, fight for victims there. That's what I've been doing. That's how I got to know Darren and Kyle They stood out. I liked Kyle. I saw something very special in Kyle. I was not alone. Those guys elevated to the top of CTLA, the Colorado Trial Lawyers, and we got a lot of good things done for the people of Colorado, changing the way you get compensated in Colorado. We changed the way you get compensated in Colorado, lobbying the legislature, and it was a kick for those guys to get me involved. And we've been involved in a lot of cases together. Catastrophic injury, wrongful death, wrongful death of children, oh my gosh, including people struck as pedestrians. We take those calls, we deal with those cases, and those guys win big. Yeah, those are the guys, $1 billion for their clients. They're bragging about it all over town, and why not? Kyle's a hell of a great lawyer. But he got a call two years ago that nobody wants to get. It was actually two years, two days ago. Kyle and I recorded this on Thursday, the 28th. And it was April 28, 2020, when he got that awful call that his mother, Margaret, had been run over in her home in Winter Park, Florida, just walking, a COVID walk. She should have been over at... The sister's looking at the grandkids, but COVID, it was the pandemic. She was out and about, this accomplished, beautiful woman, this beloved grandmother they called Big Sissy. And oh my gosh, Kyle grieved, his family grieved, and his friends grieved for him. And Kyle has turned that grief into something that is just going to make a difference in people's lives. I know this because I work with people who are victims of crime, and that's what happened. It should have been charged much more harshly in Florida, but you will hear about that. Kyle has a guidebook. He's written for people who are bereaved, who don't know what to do. And you will see he was adrift because he was traumatized. So were his siblings. 
but now he's turned it into a positive guidebook, and we're going to talk about it for the first hour as you get to know Kyle. And then the last hour, we get political. But buy the book. Give it to somebody who's going through this. Unthinkable, real answers for families confronting catastrophic injury or death by my friend Kyle Backus. Listen to this interview. It's a doozy. It's entertaining, especially the back half. The first half, it's just sad because, I mean, Big Sissy was, you know, about my age. Heck, I'm older than Kyle. I don't know if I'm old enough to be his father, but she had so much life ahead of her. And it's sad, and Kyle has turned it into a legacy, and the whole interview is awesome. Kyle is awesome. That man is busy. Their law firm, it is thriving. He's got three kids, growing, Jessica's wife. It's a full life, and it's a full-time job to keep him happy. And he's got a great assistant named Edie, and we've got a great song by our troubadour called Full-Time Job. You have to hear that interview. You will. Just stay tuned. Keep listening. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. There's a great new Colorado law. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. I have the privilege of welcoming back to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge one of the top attorneys in America. I've watched this guy in action. I remember when he came to Colorado. After I was a prosecutor, I joined the Colorado Trial Lawyers, and you quickly see who's on the rise, who are the top people, and Kyle Backus distinguished himself even back then, as did his partner, Darren Shanker. They formed the legendary team Backus and Shanker, and I've had the privilege of knowing him through the decades, the good times, the bad times, all the times that everybody goes through, 
although with Kyle, it's been a little more dramatic and sometimes traumatic. But let's start with the good news. How's it being a daddy? You have teenagers now. How's Jess? How are the three kids? Welcome to the to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Hey, Craig. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, it's a true honor uh, to be invited on. Um, I, I, As you know, I'm one of your biggest fans. Uh, you're uh, a hero in, in my mind. And so, uh, really, thank you so much for having me. Um, Jess, everybody is doing well. I've got a daughter who's about to uh, head off to college. Uh, I can't believe it. Uh, but um, so we've just been dealing with uh, those decisions and choices. And so excited about that. And uh, then I've got uh, two others that are uh, one going into high school and one going into last year of middle school. So um, they're, they're moving on through and, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm blessed to have them. I know it. You are such a busy person, full-time father, full-time lawyer, full-time businessman. Everybody sees your advertising. How do you do it? How do you keep so many uh, irons on the griddle and get it all done? Plus, I know you. You pack in time for relaxation, travel. You live life to the fullest. I've always admired that about you. Well, I appreciate it. You know, to me... it's uh, 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 has a lot to do with delegation, I think, and I've got really a tremendous uh, supporting staff. I know you know Edie, who uh, just does a, a wonderful job of uh, of directing my professional life and uh, making sure that I'm where I need to be uh, when I need to be there. And uh, and so I would say that plus. Um, uh, the uh, adoption of, of of kind of some systems that I have put in place to uh, to kind of have a rhythm to uh, to what I do uh, professionally and and a method to the madness a kind of a, a daily routine that uh, makes it all all seem to work and uh, but I, I'm I'm like anybody else certainly there are days when I've got way too much on my plate and you know, struggle to make it through. Uh, the end of the day, and uh, but I also subscribe heartily to the idea that uh, you know, work hard, uh, play hard. It's not life isn't just about work. Life is about uh, enjoying the time with your family and your friends. And so um, I, I, I try to make certain that I don't lose perspective on that. Although, as you know, trial work can interfere with that uh, uh, from time to time in a big way. Yes, but you like it. You like to uh, keep things going. Everybody needs an Edie. She's fantastic. I don't know. Is it sexist to say Girl Friday or personal assistant or whatever it is? Everybody could use it, and it's not just on your phone. People who can kind of order you around, sort of like the wife does at home, right? That's right. When and, and Edie, who is my, you know, uh, executive assistant. Um, she she truly is responsible for the calendar, and and she tells me all day long where I need to be, what I need to be doing, and uh, it's my job to be prepared to do the work. It's her job to be uh, to make certain that I arrive when I'm supposed to arrive to do what needs to be done. So it's a, it's been a great. Uh, uh, she's been with me for. Uh, over six years now, and, and it's just been a, uh, uh, she's just a, a, a real lifesaver for me professionally. 
See, I thought I knew you pretty darn well because we've spent a lot of time together and we've handled a lot of big cases together. And I've done it with your partner, too. I have consummate respect for you guys. And I always knew that you were the extrovert and Darren was more the introvert, although you both can light up a courtroom. But now I know where a little of your extrovert comes from after reading the book you wrote. Congratulations on writing a book. It's fantastic. I'm sorry, the subject matter has to do with what I'm talking about right here, but let's talk about your mama when she was alive. Margaret Backus, she was into theater, right? So that kind of brought out the theater man in you because doing a good presentation, which is what trial work is about, you are aces at that. And does it come from your mama and that theater background? I think you're absolutely right, Craig. You're right. My mom, um, my mom always loved the theater going all the way back to high school. Uh, then uh, had children, went to college, had children. And uh, when we were young kids, I mean, I was under 10 years old. Um, my mom was drawn back uh, into the theater and decided to go back to uh, the University of Florida, um, which was in the, in Gainesville where I grew up and, um, she was actually the first female to graduate ever from the University of Florida with a master's degree in theater and directing. And so she was a real uh, trailblazer in that sense. But as a result of, uh, uh, of her going back to school and going back to the theater, uh, truly my entire uh, almost memorable uh, personal history, we were surrounded by artists and theater uh, people and theater folks and uh, just the, the most amazing group of people that you can imagine, all so talented and productions. And I spent many, many nights of my life when I was a little kid, um, you know, when they were rehearsing at night uh, and my mom worked in a professional theater you know, where she was directing, let's say, a play, we would sit in the back room uh, where the makeup room was and do our homework. And then when we were done, go out and sit and watch the rehearsals quietly in the background um, for years. And, and I loved the theater and I loved that exposure. And I do think it absolutely impacted uh, my desire to, uh, to present and to, uh, you know, be out and about in that way. And, Really, the other thing is, is that uh, I saw that, you know, there's a very small number of people in the theater world and in the acting world that um, that become very, very successful uh, in terms of uh, monetarily. So, you know, my mom uh, was never a wealthy woman. Um, She did what she loved to do. Uh, But I saw some of the financial struggles. And and so in my mind, Frankly, law school was a terrific fit because you do get to present and you do get to um, act out in a way um, about real life events and tell stories. Uh, but there is a little uh, uh, better opportunity to uh, to take care of the family financially as well if you do it well and you do uh, and you invest your time in in it as a passion like I've done and and so. You know, my mom was a huge supporter of me going to law school, and uh, and certainly the the theater background was 
is elemental in terms of why I am who I am as a person today. Right. And it's not just about the money. It's about putting on a show for your mama, right? Because I, I bet you were the kind of kid said, Mama, put on a show. And hell, way before you went to law school, weren't you arguing cases, enjoying the spotlight that way as a teenager? Yes. I mean, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, first, uh, first of all, the, the, um, uh, there was always uh, sh- showmanship and, uh, and, and talk about presentation techniques and, and exposure to the theater as a kid. And, and yeah, when I was in high school, I, I took the opportunity to, um, uh, go up to the state Capitol and you could pick legal teams and, uh, legal issues that were presented. And, um, yeah, one of my, I say my first victory was uh, being recognized actually in an event like that at the state Capitol in Tallahassee. Uh, where we were given arguments on, uh, and, and the issue was actually whether or not they should uh, uh, allow, I think it was uh, alcohol uh, advertising on TV versus cigarette advertising on TV back in the day was kind of the, the, the crux of the legal argument that had to be made. And they had mock uh, appellate court that was set up and argued there. And uh, my team, one of the victors from a presentation perspective and that really started to give me the confidence to believe even in high school that, well, maybe that's something I could do for a living that, that uh, allowed me to use some of the skills that I so admired in my mom, uh, but uh, allowed me to follow my own passions uh, to, into the law. I'm sure you have good DNA and all of that, but your mom raised you and your siblings who are both doctors. That's pretty yes. smart family. Yes, that three was, kids, you know, three professionals. I, I think that um, in our family growing up, there were very, you know, kind of high expectations to uh, live up to your potential. There was no direction in, other than do what you love to do uh, and be as good at it as you can. And uh, but from the, the earliest age, I mean, and maybe it was true in your household too, Craig. I don't know, but you know, there was never any. There was never any question growing up as to what you did after 12th grade. Uh, it was you go to college. There was never a discussion about any other option the entire time that I grew up. And of course, I had a, a brother who was uh, uh, honestly uh, smarter, more gifted academically than I was. And uh, but we were very competitive. And um, and you know he was two years ahead of me. And he went off to college and. Uh, I saw what that was like, and my sister, I think, followed. At that point, my sister was like, oh, man, now I've got my brother and my sister, uh, two brothers, both, um, you know, in college. And it was just it was just an expect, uh, kind of an expectation in our family. And um, I'm real I th- glad. I think my, not- fa- my family comes in second to yours because you have two doctors yeah. and a lawyer, and we have two lawyers and a doctor. Mm. So I think you went. Well, I, you know, from from my perspective, you win. But you know, in, in my family, I, we always joked that uh, that I was I was the what do you call it the black sheep of the family that uh, because I didn't do well in biology or have an affinity for science. Same so, um, so reading, writing, performing—that was me. Uh, digging into math and science, 
you know, I got to college and took as little math and as little science as I could get away with to get my degree. You've done fine, and you're pretty good with numbers. I've read your billboards. I don't know if you've noticed, but you're all over town. One billion dollars. One billion dollars for clients. Wow, that's a big number. Yeah, it's an exciting uh, threshold for us to reach, and it's something that um, that we're very proud of. You know, we have watched uh, as that number has grown, and over the years, well, it also says something about how old I'm getting. I think too, though, right? Because that too. it takes it takes some time to uh, to accumulate that number of, of successes. Um, but yeah, we reached that threshold, and. and uh, at the end of, of 2021. And, um, and so, yeah, when we uh, decided, if, if you've you know, got what's it, flaunt it, right. And what's, we'll, the, and what's we'll the campaign going to gonna be? Yeah. What's, what's it going to look like out there? We said, you know, we really should celebrate the fact that that's, that's a substantial number of wins. And I'll, I'll tell you, Craig, um, uh, my law partner, Darren, just uh, received a $27 million medical malpractice jury verdict yesterday Ooh. after spending uh, up in up in uh, up in Weld County, and oh, those guys, that, way to go! A, a team of five lawyers were up there. They, Craig, they lived in a hotel in Greeley uh, for the last three and a half weeks. They have not seen their families. They have not. They've been up there in a hotel room. Uh, five lawyers and a paralegal uh, since the first since the first week of April. And uh, they're they're actually uh, coming back uh, this morning. Uh, they you know the jury came back late yesterday afternoon, and so they stayed up there one more night, uh, had a celebratory dinner. But you know you know what that's like. That's that what what the cost of winning takes, and um, that's a perfect example, man. I, uh, I I'm a little bit jealous because I am competitive about. Uh, how well they did, but I don't envy uh, the fact that they, the commitment of time, you know, spending 16 hours a day working, living in a hotel room, but boy, the family that, uh, it's, it's a, a terrible situation for the uh, little uh, baby um, who's now older than a baby, but that uh, got sepsis uh, in the NICU and, and uh, had a really bad outcome. But that family, uh, hopefully if, if, um, if it survives the appeal, which I believe it will, uh, and the family is ultimately paid, which I believe it will be, um, that that family is going to be in a position where they can uh, take care of that child uh, for the rest of that child's life and long long after those parents are are gone. So it's uh, which which is 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 desperately needed. So the the cost of victory is is uh, is high, but the reward is is even better. Uh, you know, Darren says going up there and, and living in a hotel like that, he says, you know, preparing for a big trial, a multi-week trial, that will take five years off of your life. And if you win, you get seven years back. Uh, but if you lose, you get none of them back. So you better win. Yeah, but you did a great thing for some family that's hurting. And Darren is uh, doing God's work. I don't know if you have to change the billboards after that, but I do know what hard work <laughs> goes into that. The... Uh, Med mal verdicts are very difficult to get in Colorado. So let's stay on the subject of your own success, which is owed in part to your partner, Darren Shanker. You guys have been a magical couple since, what, the mid-90s? And yep. I mean, that's great longevity. I know the last time you were in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, you said you never had an argument with the guy. Is that still true? 
It is still true. I mean, it's it's uh, amazing given uh, given the fact that we knew each other for about 22 months before we decided to go into business with one another. And uh, at the time that we went into business, there was uh, just us and, uh, you know, in a 10 by 10 executive suite uh, with uh, no money and no cases um, and to have worked over the course of that was in 1996. And so um, from 1996 to 2022, um, we have been uh, partners. And during the course of that time, there is no, not that we haven't disagreed or thought had different thoughts about something. We're not one and the same. We're very different people, actually. But it's a it's been a terrific uh, marriage from a law firm partnership perspective. And uh, we've never had a major disagreement about anything. We've never raised our voices at each other ever. There's never there's just never been a falling out of, of any magnitude or kind uh, at all during the, the course of that entire relationship, which is, um, which is, I think, pretty unique. Now, I think part of the reason for that is that, uh, you know, we spend a lot of professional time together. We don't spend a lot of personal time together. Our families uh, have our own sets of friends. We, not that we're not uh, also friends with one another, but it's, uh, it, I, I think that sort of, uh, we, we, we haven't, from the very beginning, we didn't uh, extensively overlap our personal and our professional lives. And I think that that space has allowed our partnership to, to flourish um, and is, is probably one of the reasons that there's never been a falling out. Nice. And did Darren know your mother very well? Surely she was well aware of Darren. She got to see, yes. thank God she got to see your success. Although not this yeah, latest $27 million, but... Well, uh, yeah, she did. Uh, she did get to know Darren, um, you know, uh, very well. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it was, it was devastating to him when we lost my mom as well. And, um, but it was great to, that they did have a, a relationship and that, uh, he knew what a special woman my mom was and what a great person she was and, uh, what a, what a huge loss, uh, it has been. And I think he, he shares in that loss. Well, that's the practical part of this story. Look, Kyle's written a book. It's called Unthinkable. I think it's fantastic because I'm in the business and I learn things. And he puts it together beautifully, a guidebook for people who have suffered a loss like that. But you had some benefits going for you when you are a brilliant trial lawyer. But Darren Shanker, who knew and I presume loved your mother, he went right into action, preserving evidence and all of that, doing the kinds of things that a skilled lawyer and a great friend can do. And uh, tell everybody how important that was to you. Well, you know what? Let's back up because it is, my God, you let me do this interview on the second year anniversary of one of the biggest tragedies anybody could ever experience, that call you never want to get. It was at the start of the pandemic, April 28, 2020, as I recall. Kyle, who's a workout freak, had just done another workout in the evening. And then you were ruining it with a barbecue sandwich. What's that about? <laughs> but he got a call from your sister. It was 10 o'clock Florida time. It's called Nobody Wants to Get. And your beautiful mama was gone out of nowhere. Tell everybody. Yeah. You know, Craig... 
as you know personally, having helped families in the criminal courts and in the civil courts, um, you know, in the back of your mind, when you do this work helping families, you just hope that you're never on the receiving end of one of those calls. Um, and, um, and and I had that hope, and, and I'm sure you have had that hope. And on that particular day, two years ago today, um, you know, my life was changed forever. My sister called me and said, uh, my, my sister lived up in Lake Mary, Florida, which is a suburb kind of like from Denver to Highlands Ranch. My mom lived in uh, the closest kind of suburb uh, in Winter Park. It's kind of like if you think about Denver and Glendale. And my sister was, uh, you know, at her house 10 o'clock at night. And a, the police department from the city where my mom lived knocked on her door and uh, asked her, you know, who she was and if she was related to uh, Margaret Backus. And she said she was. And then they informed her that uh, my mom had been killed while crossing the street um, out on a walk earlier that evening. Um, it wasn't at that time, but we later learned that my mom, you know, in the worst possible imaginable circumstances, my mom was exactly where she was supposed to be uh, having. Well, it was all caught on video. I've never watched the video. Darren and others have. Um, but, um, you know, she went up, hit the walk sign. Uh, was crossing the street, a four-lane street, and uh, was in the crosswalk. Nine steps uh, she had made uh, towards the other end of the uh, street. She was actually in the second lane over, you know, not even the immediate lane. And a, uh, a concrete mixer truck, a 43,000-pound truck, made a right-hand turn um, and uh, apparently did not see her down below in the, in the crosswalk and ran over and killed my mom instantly. And um, my sister was calling to tell me that uh, she literally said, you know, the Winter Park police had just left my house. And I knew instantly uh, in my mind when she said those words, because she didn't say, Craig, you know, she didn't say I'm rushing off to the hospital or, you know, she just, when she said the Winter Park police left her house and I know she doesn't live in Winter Park and I know my mom does. I immediately said, was it mom? And she said, yes. And my next words were, is she dead? And she said, yes. And, um, and that, but, you know, changed the course of the rest of my life and uh, devastated our family. And we began a journey that uh, we reached the two-year anniversary on this very day, this very uh, two years ago, uh, this afternoon, uh, about 3 p.m. Denver time is when my mom uh, took her last breath and was killed. Guys, the confluence of events and it's Yom HaShoah today, a day of remembrance of the Holocaust. And uh, but it's it's different the way your mom just taking her evening walk during the pandemic, and um, we'll get into why and how it happened. But right away, you got misinformation, and that happens a lot. I like your attitude toward people working for the government. You give them the benefit of the doubt, but. Mistakes were made, and thank God Darren got right on it, and eventually you figured out the true facts, but a lot of people would have accepted that initial misinformation and moved on. Tell everybody about that. Well, first of all, you're right about what Darren did, um, and you would think, Craig, 
that I would have been, I would have thought, boy, we need to, you know, confirm the story and get the information. But I, I, you, when something like this happens, you know, you're trying to make it to the next minute and you're trying to make it to the next hour. You're trying to make it to the next day. Um, Darren uh, reached out to me and uh, called me and he'd already called me, but he called me back, you know, and um, cause I texted him after I, I heard about this and he, he just said it was early the next morning uh, after my mom uh, was killed. And he just said, Kyle, I know this isn't the time to be thinking about it, but I just, just say you have the green light. I want to go find out what happened to your mom. And I said, okay. And it was because of that. And then, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Craig, you know, we were only told that my mom uh, died um, while crossing the street. We weren't told where. We knew somewhere it had to be near her home someplace. We weren't told how, what. We weren't told uh, who was at fault. We weren't told what was involved. And um, it was really Darren hired, uh, reached out to some friends of ours that we know in Florida, hired a top-notch accident reconstruction and private investigator who were on the scene, located where it occurred, and found out what happened for our family before the police ever told us what happened. And um, meanwhile, you know, our family wasn't informed for five hours uh, after my mom was killed because the investigation was happening and uh, they were trying to locate the next of kin and, uh, and uh, confirm, uh, you know, stuff on scene. But, you know, my mom was dead, so she couldn't tell us what happened. But the driver of the commercial concrete truck that ran over my mom was perfectly fine. And he's able to immediately call the safety director for uh, their company. And they're literally on scene with their investigators speaking to witnesses and trying to run down information um, within an hour of this happening to my mom. And we're four hours from even being told that she's dead and much less that, uh, you know, what's going on. And so, you know, you and I know that uh, kind of the fleeting nature of, of evidence, even when the road opens and even in locating uh, witnesses and uh, securing the black box, similar to an aircraft black box data that exists in motor vehicles now that records speeds and distances and braking and uh, those sorts of things. And, um, you know, it, it ended up, everything be, ended up being okay, but this uh, police department uh, for one, you know, they allowed this uh, concrete company to take their own truck from this fatality and leave with it and uh, park it in their yard because the police department didn't have a place for a vehicle that size. Um, how absurd, you know, knowing what you know, Craig, how absurd is that? Well, to, to think we're, that, we're that, talking, that that was allowed. right. Well, I worked in Denver and uh, you live in Denver, but this was one of Park, Florida. And as you made clear in your book, it's a smaller jurisdiction. They make mistakes. The guy who responded gave the driver a careless driving ticket, just a couple of points on his license, forgot to include 
careless driving resulting in death, that's another part of this story. But while we want the government to do well, oftentimes mistakes are made. And I love your attitude, which is, hey, I'm going to talk to the chief of police. I'll approach it nicely, but I don't want to deal with some functionary. I want this department to know this happened to my mother. Here I am. Let's talk, right? That's right. I mean, and I think that that um, when you are a person who likes to fix things, and many lawyers, many people are, you're just a fixer. You have a problem, let's fix the problem. Well, when something happens that's so awful that, that can't be fixed, you can't fix when you run over and kill somebody that can't be fixed. Um, you know, you're looking for some control and you want to stick up for the person who you've lost. And I think that, that, that it's important. And that's part of what I try to talk about in the book, the importance of, of understanding that it, you can be empowered, uh, to speak to government officials and police officers and their public servants. And, and yeah, and a death is a big deal, whether that occurs in Winter Park, Florida, whether that occurs in Denver, Colorado, or Los Angeles, California, and it ought to be treated as a big deal. And I thought it very important, knowing uh, the size of the police department there and the mistakes that we saw uh, that they that they made early on, to uh, call up and schedule an appointment to speak to the chief of police. Um, and I went down there to do it. Uh, we scheduled a time, and I went in there, and, and I wanted him to see who my mom was. I wanted him to understand the, the magnitude of the loss. And I wanted to make sure that he understood that uh, our family was watching and listening, not because we didn't expect them to do a good job, but that we wanted to be assured that uh, no, stir, no stone was left unturned in terms of investigating how and why my mom lost her life on a beautiful afternoon, uh, you know, um, out on a walk. My mom had walked 10 miles two days before that out on a, a COVID walk. Uh, my mom was a very active person and it was not some little old lady crossing the street with a cane. Not that that would make it any different, but she was extremely active. My mom decided for her 60th birthday that she was going to run the Chicago marathon. So that's what she did. And she wasn't a runner, a big runner. She did walk, she was active, but she wasn't a big runner, but there she did that for her 60th birthday. Um, and she uh, ran two other marathons after that. So we just couldn't understand, and we wanted to make sure that the police department understood um, w you know, what had been lost. And, and it proved to be uh, beneficial to us because our accident reconstructionist um, that Darren had hired uh, that uh, was able to uh, independently get copies of some dash cam video that one of – there's actually a lawyer who was at the traffic light right there who had a dash cam video, a Garmin video that he turned over to the police uh, that they downloaded a copy of. Well, our accident reconstructionist also downloaded a copy of it. The police department was, apparently there's a way you can change the speed of the video. And the police department was looking at it at one speed in terms of the number of, of uh, images per second or what have you. And they were unable, they, they were having a difficult time discerning what color the walk sign was. And it was our accident reconstructionist who said, look, they're looking at it at the wrong speed. You can put it in this other machine. You can look at it at a different speed and clear as day, you can see the walk sign for my mom crossing the, the, the street. 
and we had to go to the police department and show them uh, how to use the the technology to actually see the video in a manner that gave it uh, the, the best imaging. And and so, um, you know, building uh, here, a Here's what I like about the book. I mean, there are so many things because it's practical. It's a guide to people who are experiencing their worst moment. And somebody listening may say, well, that's easy for Kyle to say. He's Kyle Backus. But the thing is, one, you can hire Kyle Backus or you could hire me and we would do that for you. Or you have forms in your book. You give practical advice. Let me write the letter for you. You don't necessarily need a lawyer. And you make the case, which we all know and people out there probably realize, you have to show fault on the part of the other person. And a lot of times you may find it, but other times you won't. And you want these answers regardless. And when you first heard about it, you wondered, well, how did this happen? Thank God that you were able to recreate how it happened. And in the end, not only does your fine book come out of it, but some good social change. Because why don't we just put it out there right now? Through investigation, you determined... This truck driver had his vision obscured by a part put on these cement mixer trucks that should not have been there, and now they're removed. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, the you tell the rest of that story, because that's a social good that grew out of this tragedy. Well, yeah, and, and first of all, just touching on a couple of points, that, that one of the things that I wanted to make sure people understood from an empowering perspective in writing the book. And it's written for, you know, families who are confronting these, uh, these awful events who are, are, are probably, it's probably the worst time in their life to ever have to make decisions. Right. I know in, in my life, there's never been a time that it was a worse time for me to make a decision uh, than in the week or two after my mom was killed, but it's a crucial time period. And I want people to understand that, yeah, you can hire a lawyer, but you also can take things into your hands um, that the same uh, experts that the lawyers hire are available for the public to hire. And I provide how you can Google that, how you can come up and, and find uh, a, a private investigator who with experience in investigating uh, liability after a, a car crash or whatever the event is. And, and the same thing is true for professional engineers. And so it is important. Thank you for bringing it up, Craig, because it's really important for people to know you can hire people to preserve the information while you make decisions, but know that the, that the, every day that goes by, you risk losing evidence that may be important to demonstrating what occurred. I mean, what if, and, and it didn't happen, but what if, um, you know, equipment had been removed uh, that, that we weren't able to determine what happened. Now, that's not what happened. We were able to get preservation letters out, and I give copies of, of those sorts of documents that you can inform people not to destroy any evidence uh, related to their vehicle, et cetera. We determined that um, there was a aftermarket product that had been placed on the dashboard on the right-hand side, blocking the vision of the driver uh, from being able to see down and to his right. And so pretty much every time that this driver would make a right-hand turn, they were making it blindly. And thank God uh, nobody else uh, had been killed. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, my mom uh, was the last one uh, that, uh, you know, the last trip that that truck ever took with that device up there. 
and uh, other trucks in their fleet uh, was the day that my mom was killed. And, uh, you know, that truck was taken out of service and uh, the company voluntarily removed those devices that they had placed in all of their trucks. The devices are fine. They're just not supposed to be put up on the dashboard and they block the vision of the drivers who already have a difficult time looking down. But as you know, Craig, one of the things, you know, very seldom does something just randomly happen uh, that causes the death or serious injury of another person. Generally speaking, if we look hard enough, we find the answer as to why it happened and how it happened. And it may be a driver was texting. It may be a driver was distracted by something else occurring in their vehicle. It may be that there was an aftermarket part on the dashboard. It may be uh, all kinds of things, but it's important to figure out what happened, why it happened, and families want those answers because they're, gr they're grasping with just the understanding how it could have happened at all. Well, there's never going to be justice when you lose a loved one. No matter what the civil verdict or criminal outcome, your loved one won't come back to life. But to me, the second best concept and maybe a good synonym for justice in the context of what we do is the truth. Just give the people the truth and let's learn from the truth, figure it out through our adversary process. But you do make a great point about the fleeting nature of evidence. And I like your book because of the attitudinal stuff, that you kept working with the Winter Park law enforcement team, including the prosecutor. You were aggravated that the guy rushed to court, got to plead guilty to uh, the equivalent of defective vehicle, and then uh, didn't even acknowledge your mother's death you tried to get that switched in the criminal courts. And, uh, of course, I had 16 years as a prosecutor. You did kind of uh, indicate in your book that generally victims will be disappointed with the criminal justice system. And in your case, that is what happened, right? Yeah, and, and I think that um, it's important, and we go through this in the book, and trying to understand just what is the criminal justice system about and what's the civil justice system about? And the criminal justice system is designed to punish people for violating society's norms, rules, and laws. And that may or may not be consistent with the needs of the victims of those violations of the law. And certainly in our case, uh, it was wholly inadequate. But as you know, Craig, as the great prosecutor that you were, um, for the city and county of Denver, um, the criminal justice system is designed to punish mostly intentional conduct. So if somebody commits first-degree murder, yeah, there's a, a big consequence to that. But as you go down, uh, as we lawyers refer to it as mens rea, which is the mental state of the person who is committing the act, as you go down from intentionally doing something to recklessly doing something to negligently doing something, when you get down to negligence, um, there's not a lot of consequences in the criminal justice system for negligence. And I remember after my mom was killed and I've had other clients ask the same thing, you know, my brother and sister, uh, my mom's sisters saying, well, so they got, okay, so this guy's got a commercial driver's license and he's driving in broad daylight and runs over uh, your mom and, and, and kills her. Like she's going to, that guy's going to jail, right? I mean, that's the question people ask. He's going to jail. I mean, how long, it's going to be a long time, right? And th they tell me, you know, they, 
uh, are Googling to try to get this information about how long somebody's going to go to jail for. And all that when they Google, all that pops up, up is a bunch of lawyer ads that say almost like, congratulations, somebody's been killed. You know, call us, we'll get you some money. And that's not what the family needs to be thinking about or hearing about. And they don't even care about. They're wanting like, where's the accountability for what just happened to our family? And you, the first stop is that criminal justice system. And uh, as you, uh, you know, what alluded to, the guy who killed my mom, ultimately because of a mistake by the police, you know, he wasn't going to probably spend any jail time to begin with, but he at least would have lost his commercial driver's license. He didn't even lose his license. Paid a hundred and eighty dollar fine and a two point ticket for running over and killing my mom with a commercial truck, and was available to be driving the next day. I, I doubt hear, he was driving yeah. the next day. I can but hear can the imagine? aggravation in your voice, but at the same time, oh. and boy, I, it's easier when you're the lawyer and it's not that personal. I got that call when Javad Marshall Fields and his fiancée Vivian were gunned down. Uh, the son and prospective daughter-in-law of Rhonda Fields, state senator. That was June 20, 2005, and I got a call from Rhonda and... Maisha, and they wanted me to attack the police department because Javad was a witness and he'd been murdered and how could they let this happen? And Rhonda's let me talk about this and she's talked about it on my show uh, because we had to work with the police, right? I mean, here we were going to the police department. Her son was dead. Her Vivian was dead. And if we start attacking the police, these are the very people who are going to be involved trying to figure out who committed it. And ultimately, Aurora Police did an unbelievably great job getting that done for this family. But I think you make that point beautifully throughout Unthinkable that even though you got disappointed by Winter Park law enforcement, Florida State law enforcement, you still you still had to work with them, right? Yeah, and and I believe that they were doing, um, they were trying to do the best job that they could do. Uh, but I I talk a little bit about the kind of the law enforcement lottery, right? It depends on where does the event occur, in what jurisdiction, uh, what police officer is on duty, which ones are on vacation, who's already on another call. And, you know, you end up with the police officer who's available, who's in the jurisdiction, who's going to start the investigation. And it's not their fault that they haven't done this 150 times because they're in a small department. Uh, but the consequences to the family remain uh, real and true. And so, yeah, we worked with them. Uh, we, I, I liked the people who were involved. Um, I certainly was frustrated with some aspects of it. But, um, yeah, we worked with them. And, and I think that, you know, as we also talk about in the book, that, that uh, thankfully in the United States and in every state in the country, uh, victims do have rights. Now, you may not have the rights that you wish you had from the, in a criminal prosecution, but we, we do talk about uh, the, you know, the, the rights that you do as, have as a victim and how important it is to uh, take the appropriate action to avail yourself to those uh, to the rights that you have. I've been in Colorado when the Victim Rights Amendment was approved by the voters. Even before that, the Denver DA's office led the way. 
when Ronald Reagan got shot, that was big impetus, as you put it, in your book. And you don't write about all the many cases you've had where this is implicated, but I remember having you on the radio several times, including about a little boy who got killed through terrible driving on South Havana. People will remember Mississippi and Havana. He was at a Baskin-Robbins and got killed. I mean, you've you've dealt with these tragedies before for other people, but did you know that victim rights was kind of born in the Denver DA's office? We brag about it. You know, we had victim advocates. Norm Early headed up the National Association of Victim Advocates. So uh, it's a good thing because uh, even though there's very little teeth in it, they're supposed to inform you all the time. And there is some money available. And you go into that beautifully in your book. And you you especially focus on Colorado because that's your home now. Yeah, and, and I will say this. Um, thank, uh, thank God for victims' advocates. You know, these are not people who, I mean, I don't know what they make, but I'm sure they're, you know, they're not uh, making a, a world of money. Uh, but these are people, as you say, that are in the district attorney's office. They're also in police departments, and they're there uh, in part because of the movement that occurred to give victims rights. And these departments and uh, entities want to make sure that that they're living up to the obligations under their state constitutions and state victims' rights laws. But these victims' advocates, uh, who are the front line for the family, helping the family find counseling, helping the family uh, plan a funeral, uh, you know, holding families' hands uh, in court, doing whatever is necessary to support the victims of crime in our communities. Um, boy, I, I just, I, I, I put them on the highest pedestal, Craig. They are just unbelievable people. And, and, um, and that, and the role that they play is is so important to families and and it, yeah so there's victims compensation uh, and sometimes when you think about a, a car crash people might not think of themselves as a victim of a crime uh, every state that we've looked at uh, where they define who qualifies as a victim of a crime uh, not only does it include intentional conduct as victims but uh, careless driving resulting in death or serious bodily injury. You qualify as a victim of a crime, and that entitles you uh, to uh, the victim's rights under your state constitution or under state uh, victim's uh, rights laws. And, and it, it doesn't allow you to stand in for the prosecutor and make a decision as to who gets uh, prosecuted for what charges, but it does give you the right to be informed, to be heard by the judge, to uh, be uh, to participate in discussions about whether a plea bargain is appropriate, the prosecutor gets to make the final decision, of course, but the, the role that victims uh, play uh, in Colorado, more so than in some other states even, is, is, uh, is important. And, I, you know, I'm interested in, in, Craig, in your experience as a prosecutor. I mean, victims mattered, right? In oh, terms boy. Of, of what I, you, were you were deep in forming your own corporation, but in 1996, I ran against Bill Ritter, and my platform was, Placing victims first. Now, 
I had billboards made up, and, and at the start I put putting victims first, but then I realized that could be misinterpreted by golfers to be putting victims first, and I have been a putting victim occasionally, so I changed that to placing victims first. But holy cow, Kyle, just to be serious, when I handled a murder case, to me, the opinions of the loved ones meant everything, and in rape cases... Gosh, my first priority was to make the victim satisfied with my performance. And I know that now how prosecutors think the good ones, they want to please the victim. And I handled a lot of vehicular assaults, vehicular homicides. And it was very important, primary to me, even though I represented the people of the state of Colorado, the reaction of the victim's family meant everything. Because when something terrible like that happened, and you and I talked shortly after your mom's death, I was devastated when you told me what happened. And I think I gave you advice, and you put some of it in your book out of your own mouth. You don't need it from me, but everybody reacts to grief in different ways, and it's all okay. And uh, when something as traumatic as that happens, the world stops spinning correctly. And to the extent that lawyers can bring truth out in a courtroom or through the process, maybe that helps the world to start spinning okay again. All right, this bad thing happened. I understand why. And I don't know, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. And, you know, and and I think it, it, it furthers, you know, Part of what I am, am trying to convey to readers is, you know, it's so important for you as a victim to be heard and to uh, put yourself out there if you're up to it. You know, some people in the family may not be up to it, but hopefully at least one person is up to it to, to build that relationship with the prosecutor because you're human. Uh, prosecutors are human and and it's important. Uh, you know, it's 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 meaningful uh, to participate in the process, and, and and it does get you closer to to understanding the truth. And and you're absolutely right, also, Craig, about you know the world uh, no longer uh, spins uh, you know the the right way, and and how important uh, knowledge and information is uh, to victims. Um, you know, I, I think that that one of the mistakes police officers sometimes make and what they said in our cases, we didn't want to tell you your mom was run over by a concrete truck because we didn't want to, we, we, we didn't want to, to make it, uh, you know, to make it worse than sound worse than, than it already sounded. Well, I can tell you as a victim, you know, I want to know the truth. I wanted to know the truth as soon as I could. I wanted to start making sense of what happened as soon as I could. And although I, I appreciate the idea, um, what matters to victims is, the brutal, honest truth. Uh, it doesn't get any worse than being told that somebody's been killed. And so, um, uh, you know, trying to discover how and why it happened to prevent it and to just be able to process it's super important. And uh, and, and so I, I, you know, I admire, that's why I said, you know, Craig, you're one of my heroes. I admire uh, the way that you have I've always gone about your business as a prosecutor and as, an, as a lawyer after you left that, that uh, profession. I admire the way you handled your mother's post-death difficulties because it's not easy. And your mom died intestate. She had two cats, April and Addie. You write about all of this and the practical things. You don't have your mom's passwords. What are you going to do? 
It's a reminder to Trish and me, he write these things down. There are so many lessons in your book, but thank God through your own ingenuity and Jessica's, you were able to salvage some things. But uh, And, and uh, my buddy, Michael Bailey, and you give credit to Aaron Evans in your book. He's a great estate litigator and knowledgeable on all these things. My buddy, Michael Bailey, he sets up pet trusts, which is a good thing to do if you're thinking ahead. Nobody thinks they're going to get hit in a crosswalk like that. But, I mean, it, there are so many things that happen after death, the bills that come in. Your book addresses it all, and you bore the brunt of it with your siblings, but you handled it magnificently. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Well, I, I will tell you, um, you know, if you really put yourself in, in, in the position of what actually happens, like my mom went out for a walk and didn't come back. So when you walk into uh, her, her town home after she's been killed, you know, it's like she just ran off to the grocery store and she's expecting to come back and her cats are expecting her to come back. And uh, thankfully, uh, her computer was on, her laptop was on, and she had was logged into multiple platforms that really saved the day uh, for us because, um, you know, we didn't have her passwords. We didn't know whether she had a will. Um, we didn't know if she did, where to look for it. Ultimately, we never found one if she had one amongst her belongings, and we never located one. And so, yeah, so as you pointed out, as lawyers, we refer to that as dying intestate without a, a will. Um, and yet things are happening. And so you, you have to, you know, what are you going to do with the animals? We, we didn't know what vet the animals went to. We didn't know. We knew that, that uh, we each in our own households couldn't take those two uh, cats, would have if push came to shove, but wanted to find a, a good home for them. Um, and so, you know, you go about the business of trying to figure all of these things out. My mom had a car. Uh, I didn't know whether her car was paid off or not. Um, you know, you, you, so you have to uh, start trying to figure those things out. I didn't know uh, what bills were due. I didn't know anything. You, 
because nobody expected her to die that day, including herself. She didn't expect herself to be killed that day. And so uh, what I try to do in the book, as you point out, is go through and talk about the practical realities and give advice on how to handle each and every one of the things that that uh, are likely to come up, certainly those that came up in my world. And then I talked with probate lawyers like Aaron Evans and other people uh, within our firm uh, to just make sure we're covering most of the things that are likely to arise. Uh, what do you do at the person, people's close? Who's entitled to what? Uh, who should get what? How do you, uh, what, what happens when somebody doesn't have a will? You know, what happens with all of these things? And so um, it's, it's monumental. And again, the speed at which these things are coming at families who are in the worst position to be making decisions, um, you know, the book hopefully will help those families at least give a roadmap to, to um, how to work through some of those decisions and to handle uh, some of them. You know, uh, the uh, advice about, uh, you know, a lot of people think that if, if they're the direct heir and one of their relatives were to be killed today, that they assume responsibility for that, those person's expenses and medical bills, et cetera. And so, uh, and the people who are owed money will kind of insinuate that, that you're responsible for it and you're not responsible for it. And so we talk about uh, some tactics for handling um, that sort of, uh, of consequence after somebody dies. It's beautiful advice. And uh, Judy's house, Brian Greasy's mom, if uh, somebody dies, you know, through, God forbid, just taking a walk, sometimes they leave small children. What a resource that is in Denver. People think of it maybe in the context of cancer, this or that, but Judy's house is there to help children and people who have suffered a traumatic loss of a parent, right? Yeah, what a great organization Judy's House is. Um, and, you know, uh, thank you to Brian Greasy and his family for putting uh, that uh, entity into existence. I mean, and, and Craig, they help anybody who has suffered, any child up to age 22 who has suffered the loss of an, of a, an immediate family member, uh, and they provide counseling services and support services, um, and so what just a tremendous uh, organization and what a, what a need, uh, especially for uh, younger children. And, uh, and you know, one of the things that, that I would say is that not only dealing with clients, but my own family and my own children and myself, um, you know, the importance of, of grief counseling and working through, um, you know, the, the emotions that come along with such a devastating event happening to a family and to have Judy's house providing that to families free of charge. That's what they are free of charge. They rely upon those who support the organization to cover the costs associated with those services. And even if uh, you know, you don't have a Judy's house uh, where you are, uh, you know, like we do have the benefit of in Denver you know, most states do have victims' compensation benefits that will pay for um, grief counseling. You know, when you get a speeding ticket, if you get one and you go in, you get or some other uh, issue that brings you to, to court. You don't have you to pay. tell me. You know how much victims' comp I collected over 16 years? Take a guess. I totaled it up. You ready? Uh, yeah, tell me. One 
billion dollars, one billion dollars. That's how many cases I handled. No, I'm just kidding. You're the billion dollars winner, but <laughs> there's a lot of money there, up to three k. And you give statutory sites in all the states. Here's the greatest thing you did for your mother. Honestly, she was the family historian, the scrapbooker. She loved your career, your legacy, but you thought about her legacy. And in her honor, you wrote this book, and it's my honor to publicize it. Wow, to write a book about these things. My sister's brainiac in my family, veterinarian, board-certified internist. She wrote Speaking for Spot, which is about how to advocate for your animal when you go to a veterinarian. And sometimes it's pretty desperate, right? Your dog may be euthanized or something like that. How do you deal with these worst moments? But you do this for people in this book, and I think it's a real service for people who are struggling. Talk about that. Talk about the legacy. And you know your mama. If I can call her Big Sissy, her name is Margaret, yep. but throughout the book you call her Big Sissy. That's what your children knew grandma as. And uh, the legacy of Big Sissy and that fingerprint idea, oh, my God, I never heard of that before. Tell people about that. Yeah, you, you know, um, I'll touch first on the fingerprint thing. The, the importance of keepsakes, I think, um, can't be underestimated when you suffer a loss and um, and you have a limited amount of time. I mean, unfortunately, we never got to have a funeral or a service for my mom because of, of COVID. Um, we never got a chance to see her after she was killed because, um, you know, she was I mean, it, it was as bad as you could possibly imagine. And there was not a lot, I think, left for us to even see. And so, um, but they were able to secure fingerprints. Uh, and we were offered, thankfully, the opportunity to have, you know, uh, fingerprints that were uh, built into uh, uh, little tokens that can be used on the necklaces or on a bracelet. And, um, and, and to have that, you know, my daughter wears... A, a necklace with her grandmother's fingerprint on it um, every day. My, I know that my mom's sisters do the same. Now my little boys, they they don't do that, but they have them, uh, and and they'll be able to to you know to re refer to them and use them and and see them. And and so keepsakes are really important, and and they serve a great purpose from a from a legacy perspective. Um, you know when something, and we've all seen it, when something terrible happens. Uh, the, you, there's a desire to try to make something good, something, no matter how big or how small, something good out of something terrible. Uh, and that's the reason we have, uh, you know, things like uh, victims' uh, rights laws is because families who had suffered before my family had suffered uh, uh, got up and pushed the legislature to make changes and, and to invoke uh you know, some sort of legacy for their losses. And in, in my case, uh, certainly this book is, uh, is a legacy uh, to my mom. It's not a book about my mom. It's a book about the, you know, chronologically the things a family has to deal with and is kind of a, a roadmap and a guidebook for how you might want to address uh, the issues uh, and, and, and hopefully empowers families and helps ease their their the, the path that they have to walk after such an awful thing. Uh, but we've interlaced, and I've interlaced my mom's story into uh, into it so that people can see 
practical, uh, truthful realities that my family faced and, and, and hopefully it provides some kinship to those going through it. And, and we walked that path together and I've uh, I walked that uh, unthinkable, terrible path now. Uh, and, and I wanted to provide uh, help because I felt like, boy, how ironic, how weird. Like I've done this, I've represented and helped families for almost 30 years doing this. And then it happens to my family. And yet uh, so much that uh, of the information my family needed, uh, you know, I hadn't experienced, and so more of the holistic loss. And so we wrote, I went to write this and 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 put it together with that in mind, from purely from a legacy perspective, um, and trying to do good. You know, good good may just mean uh, walking a little more gently through life after something happens, and understanding that nobody's walking around with a sign on them, Craig, that says my mom was killed today. Or I lost my brother yesterday. Uh, but we interact with people. You still have to get up and go to the grocery store or go to the gas station. We don't know the pain and problems that those that we see every day are, are going through uh, because they're not wearing signs and they're just dealing with their own uh, life situations. And so I think even something as small as thinking about, boy, I, I'm just going to smile more or wish people a, a good day more or uh, be there for people in pain. And, and um, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's something larger. Maybe it's, you know, we really wanted, uh, my family really wanted to go back to the University of Florida and create a scholarship and endowment in my mom's name. And so the entire extended family got together and that's exactly what we did. And we were just down at the university last week, Craig, uh, um, for the spring convocation where the first recipient of the scholarship uh, in my mom's name was awarded and we got to meet that person and, and uh, you know, pass that legacy on and tell that uh, the recipient who is a, uh, just seems like a wonderful young woman who's in the theater department now at the University of Florida who, um, you know, does this hopefully release some of the financial burden from her for being the recipient over the next year of this scholarship. And, and so you just want something, you know, you want something uh, tangibly good, big or small to result when you look back. And um, and so when I look back two years ago today, you know, I look back and I say, boy, what a horrible path this has been for the last two years. Um, I can't believe it to this day that my mom was is gone, that she was killed the way that she was. But I look back and I say, well, I have this book uh, that hopefully when I talk to publishers about putting it together, what do they, you know, what do you want to accomplish? I said, if I can just help one family ease their pain and their path, um, then I'll consider it to be a success. Uh, and uh, I think that has been accomplished and um, the book is here. The book is here forever. Um, the scholarship is, is there, um, you know, people are, are will get to know and learn about my mom uh, moving forward and what a great woman uh, she was. And, and that doesn't bring her back and it doesn't solve the problems, but uh, it, it helps achieve this, this desire that we see not only in my family, but through many families to um, can there be some good out of such a horrible uh, thing? And, and two years into it, I can say, I think that 
that we as a family have accomplished it, and I think I've accomplished it uh, with this book. Well, I'm blessed to know Big Sissy now. I didn't really know your mom. Uh, you were good enough to send me the galleys of your book. The finished product is perfect. I ordered it on Amazon. I think it came in less than a day, which is how good those guys are at distributing your book. I, I think it's amazing. Uh, you talked about uh, your limited time. I, I'm really grateful for the time you're spending with me. And um, if I could, you brought up COVID and we're out of it. Uh, Fauci said the pandemic's over. But I don't know if you could just Kyle opine on where we are in society now. You're so smart. I value your opinion. My listeners do too. Rule of law, the courts, uh how are they functioning during COVID, now post-COVID? A lot of cases have been backed up. Where are we at in Colorado? And and if, if you want, we can tackle some broader societal issues. Sure. I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to talk about uh, any topic with you, Craig. Uh, I, I, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Hey, maybe you know my voice and me from the first half of my career when I was Denver prosecutor. Or maybe you know me from my time on the radio and now on my podcast. But my real job for several decades now has been to fight in the civil arena for victims of crimes. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. If your life has been damaged through the misconduct of others, there's a great new Colorado law and it's for you. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Let's expose the truth. Let's get you some justice. Let me be your voice for a confidential consultation. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Look, you know, with with COVID from, uh, boy, uh, what an impact. Um, you know, in a way, uh, I don't know if we know the true consequences uh, of COVID. I mean, I feel like my mom would be alive today if COVID had never uh, occurred because she was only by herself walking rather than watching my sister's kids because, um you know, in the early days when there was no vaccine and there was great uncertainty, if you go back to April of, of 2020. Um, and so how many other big sissies are there that lost their life uh, collaterally or that succumbed to, uh, you know, suicide or to, um, you know, alcohol abuse or, or who knows the, the total consequence? I look at it as... Um, as a, 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 a society-wide, um, you know, a, a terrible uh, event that occurred. Um, in a way, it, you know, we've all shown uh, that, that we're capable of, of survival and making it through, and some uh, harder than others, and but the loss has been absolutely tremendous. So pers- from a personal perspective, uh, I'm, I'm so sorry for all of us that we've had to endure this. And I think it's had a huge impact on every aspect of our personal lives from our children to education, to, um, to just interacting. I mean, 
and I, and I think that that it's it's there's been a shift, um, not in a good way, in a lot of instances when and in how people interact with each other in society as a whole uh, that may be traced to COVID, in, in my opinion. And and I hope we get back to loving each other and and respecting each other a little bit more than than maybe. Uh, we, we have coming out of COVID. From a business perspective, uh, obviously, huge impact on the court system. Uh, we, as I'm sure you, uh, Craig, I mean, the entire civil court system screeched to uh, a complete halt. And that meant that families who had pending cases and it related to injury and death claims, their cases could not move forward. And when the cases couldn't move forward, the insurance companies had no impetus uh, to resolve cases. And so they held on to their money and rather than paying it out to the families who deserved to get it. Um, in Colorado, we were one of the few states, I think, where, you know, if we filed a civil case, we were getting trial dates within a year. This is pre-COVID. We were getting trial dates within a year of the filing. That might be like there, a long and time. And there was to, a real effort to get cases done within a year. Right. Yeah. And so then COVID hits and it screeches to a halt and people are having a no trials for months on end. And then when they get reinstated, um, the trials, you may be two years from filing uh, to get a, a trial date. And we're still seeing the consequences of it in the court system uh, you know, as we speak. Some cases are getting to trial, but many cases are being uh, postponed. But there's a lot of families that have had to endure extended periods of time while also dealing with their life with COVID and with society and COVID, uh, you know, the, the, the cases that they had pending uh, were not progressing. So that was, that was awful. I, I think things are a lot better now. I have great hope for uh, our, our future, both as a society and, um, and, and in, the, in the court system. I think that we have learned to do uh, some things more efficiently. You know, not every court hearing needs to be, uh, take place with a drive to the courthouse. We, I think we've learned that. Um, but the, the, the right to a jury trial depends upon in-person juries to be able to gauge credibility of, of witnesses, just like occurred in the case uh, that my uh, partner finished yesterday. You, know, you, couldn't, you couldn't do a, uh, a three-week uh, jury trial on Zoom. That you wouldn't get justice. Nobody would get justice because you need to be in the presence of witnesses to be able to observe and to, to understand and to, to uh, apply the law to the circumstances based upon uh, credibility and other factors. So, yeah, the scariest that, thing, yeah, about trying to case in Greeley, or I was going to Adams County Courthouse the other day, is the drive. Maybe people are driving a little less, but it seems like. There's more hostility on the road. People are driving worse. Is that your observation? That is my observation. I feel like, well, my observation, and maybe it's wrong, Craig, but I feel like there's less police uh, on the streets. I mm -hmm. feel like we used to drive around, and if you were driving like a maniac, that there was a, in the city of Denver, there's a pretty good chance you're going to drive by a police officer who's going to stop you. And now we get on I-25 and People are driving 90 miles an hour uh, on I-25 with no consequence. And so, um, you know, it, it, that to me, if I were the mayor, and I, I like uh, our mayor, but if I were the mayor uh, of Denver, 
you know, I would be going to the. I would. I think you need to hire, and and maybe maybe they need better pay. Maybe what hire more police officers and and get out there and enforce the traffic laws because uh, it's really scary and it's scary to have young drivers in my family. Right? It's scary. I'm I'm scared. To, to get out on the road and you see the way that people are driving. I think the hostilities on the road have never been higher. I've worked four decades downtown. You've worked there for a spell. You live in Denver. I'm worried about downtown. I've seen it go through booms and busts, but this one feels a little different. All of my favorite restaurants are gone, and I haven't been able to get together with buddies like you because of COVID and a lot of our favorite haunts aren't there anymore. Will downtown Denver survive this? Well, I think, you know, I think the concern is real. I can tell you uh, from a business owner who has had, you know, leases on big properties in downtown Denver. You know, if you're leasing, you know, 20,000 square feet or more, you're usually in a 10-year lease uh, in, a, in these high-rises. Um and so I don't think we even know the consequences of what's going to happen when these leases come up and whether people are going to renew them or not. I think we're only a fraction of those long-term leases uh, have uh, on, on uh, commercial real estate downtown have even uh, come up to renew. And so um, I, I'm hoping that, uh, again, if we have a good uh, a police presence to enforce, uh, you know, the smart behavior from citizens downtown um, that some restaurants will reopen and people will return. It's, you know, I, one of the things I love about Denver is, is uh, what I remember now about, you know, downtown Denver and, uh, and all in Lodo and all of the different areas to go to. And um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to restaurants downtown either because they don't exist anymore, like you say, or, you know, maybe it just doesn't feel as safe as it used to feel. And maybe that's in part because not as many people are down, but I, you know, I'm hopeful. I love downtown Denver. Uh, I don't love what it's become right now. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it, it needs to start with, um, you know, a good law enforcement presence. Hopefully this Rocky season, you know, Hey, I think, I don't know where they are now. They, if they're, they're still in, about 500, Phil- they're in Philadelphia games. kind of, uh, destroying their good start. But. Right. So, but, but hopefully, you know, that'll bring people down and we can, uh, get into a good post COVID vibe and we'll get some new young restaurateurs who uh, want to come in and take a risk and they'll get good lease rates, uh, and, um, and, and we'll get back to business downtown. Yeah, it, everything's it, going to be great. I mean, the midterms are coming up. What could go wrong? We talked about victims' rights, which kind of go hand-in-hand hand with consumer rights, the little guy out there, and who's looking out for the little guy? And you think, well, everybody should be. Everybody should support victims, but it's really not true in the system. Uh, you talked about insurance companies. They have a lot of money. They spread it around almost exclusively with Republicans beating back trial lawyers. It's been a partisan fight for a long time, and you've been involved. But now the the political divide is at levels I've never experienced in my lifetime, and I'm quite a bit older than you. Well, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think that we have been 
blessed to be in the state of Colorado from a consumer rights perspective. Um, you know, we have some of the most uh, protective consumer rights laws uh, that our legislature has passed uh, predominantly uh, since the mid, you know, uh, 1990s moving forward. And so I think we're in a better place, I feel, than maybe the, the country is as a whole when it comes to um, supporting uh, victims uh, and consumers, as you know, generally speaking. But it certainly is worrisome, um, you know, what role government may uh, try to play in rolling some of that back from a, a federal uh, a federal perspective. You know, whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican, I think that uh, what is clear and true is that the federal government operates to, to for the most part, uh, to the will of big corporate America. And um, so it, it's, it's dangerous to consumers to have uh, Congress passing national laws that would impact uh, consumer rights. And they've done that and provided broad spectrum immunity to uh, drug companies and who, you know, and to product manufacturers. And to, and so I hope that that doesn't expand over time. I'm concerned about that. And, you know, I think that the state of Colorado, uh, while they don't do everything, uh, you know, correct, we're in, a, we're in a better position for the little guy here than we are in a lot of other states. Right, because we have a Democrat governor, Democrat House, Democrat Senate, and they generally support trial lawyers. And you might not care about those issues until you were injured or somebody, God forbid, suffers a catastrophic injury. You want maximum rights and you don't want the jury told, hey, you can give this but not that. Let them give what they feel is appropriate. But I want to give our last part of our interview to what I'm worried about in America and what drives this podcast is corporations will do exactly the things you said and try to influence things in the U.S. Capitol. But on January 6, 2021, we saw another group try to influence events at the Capitol. And it bothered the hell out of me. I feel like I suffer PTSD from that, and America does. And I want to see some accountability. And I think that the accountability flows to the guy at the top who told everybody to come to Washington. It's going to be wild. It's just like we were talking about, Kyle. I want to get to the truth about every aspect of what happened with this election and the attempts to subvert the will of the people in America. How about you? I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, what is most scary to me about um, the dialogue surrounding January 6th uh, and a lot of other dialogue in the country is um, losing track of the truth this idea that, that that the truth is so malleable uh, based upon um, how many times one can tell a lie that a lie becomes the truth in the uh, social media environment and world that we live in where uh, information travels so quickly. 
I, I never, I think, envisioned um, in my lifetime a, a world where uh, where misinformation is such a a, a huge problem. Uh, we, even when there's video, even when you and I and anybody who opens their eyes can look at the video of what occurred on January 6th, by way of example, um, and 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 you you can see it with your own eyes. Yet somehow, um, if we're not looking at that video, and somebody says a thousand times that it didn't happen, there's a large segment of our society who are convinced something didn't happen or did happen just because it, it, it's the, a lie is told. And, and, um, and, and so that is remarkable to me that we can all look at the same event, see with our own eyes and then be transformed by words uh, that are repeatedly used to describe it that don't reflect what our eyes are actually seeing. And it works. Lying works. Uh, you know, uh, you can have every Republican, uh, for example, in Georgia, uh, who was involved in the election process, tell you that there was no voter fraud in uh, Georgia. And yet uh, there's a large segment of Republicans in that state who believe that it did occur, even though it didn't only because somebody is willing to repeatedly lie and say that it did. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very concerning to me uh, because truth does matter and truth in a courthouse matters and truth when you put your hand up and say you're going to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth matters and our society is based upon those those simple kind of, of 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 ideals that you would think would would as information and uh, and uh, access to information grows would be more clear, not less clear. Did you ever think, Craig, that you'd live in a world where um, you can just say something a thousand times and people will believe it if you say it on enough different platforms? No. I was regardless on, I was, of whether yeah, there's right. The videos, the videos are so different, you know, that the truth is different than what people are being told. It's crazy. It's interesting that you bring that up because I'm reading the book Insurgency by Jeremy Peters, who writes for the New York Times, who happened to call me about Jenna Ellis. And I gave some quotes. I'm quoted in the New York Times by this guy. But he makes the point that starting with Pat Buchanan and then Sarah Palin, that the repetition of certain things really is effective. And I was on a radio show for a long time where I would argue with Dan Kaplis, and he would say things maybe three times, you know, again and again. And I always felt, you know, I said what I did, and I felt I had the winning argument. I don't need to chew my cabbage twice or over and, and over, but maybe I did. Maybe... It's not what's the better argument, the rules today, but it's how many times you can say it. And the other thing that distresses me is that you said it starts with the most simple thing, which is service of process and the ability to subpoena somebody and they have to come to court, they have to produce records. 
If that goes bye-bye, we don't have a system of justice. And best I can tell, the attitude of Trump and his acolytes is, we're not going to comply with any of your damn subpoenas. We're going to give you nothing, and you're going to like it. And so far, they've kind of gotten away with it, which to me is a disaster for the rule of law. What do you think? Well, I agree that the the trickle-down effect of ignoring the civil or criminal justice system and the obligations that we all have. I mean, at the society is really fragile. If, if everybody just goes, and this is slightly but if everybody decided that we were all going to no longer uh, abide by traffic lights, there would be no enforcement of traffic lights. Society only works because we, as members of society, as citizens, are willing to um, live within the rules and structure of the rules that we have created for ourselves. And there's a trade-off that, you know what, if we do that, um, it's going to provide the best life for all of us uh, as a group. And that kind of... When you you start at the top, in in the, the highest positions in the land whether it's a president or a cabinet or members of Congress, and they are willing to ignore something like a subpoena. Just ignore it. It's a perfectly valid subpoena. It's been issued. Uh, what, does that say, what does that say as a, on a trickle-down to when I subpoena somebody to come in and tell the truth about what happened uh, in, a, in a crash or collision that they witnessed? Should they ignore it, too, if the president's willing to ignore it and the old president is willing to ignore it or – so it, it, it's. I feel like there's a fragility to society as a whole that is dependent upon, especially from the top down, to have a respect for the rule of law, for judges, whether we like judges or not, to respect what we what we have set up as society as the rules with which we're going to operate, and uh, and so it's it, it's extremely concerning. And you come from Florida. You would think you would expect anything. Although you guys had some better politicians back in the day. Dare I ask about Ron DeSantis? And it kind of brings us back to COVID. A lot of people said, you have your mask mandates. Well, we're not going to follow them. And uh, there was little enforcement. I turn it over to you, Florida man. Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, don't they both live there? Yeah. I'm very you know, obviously very disappointed about DeSantis and and what appears to be kind of authoritarian rule there uh, because the they, they control the both houses uh, and you know for instance you know what they have are now attempting to to do to Disney World um, you know it, which is completely I mean just politically uh, if Republicans are for free enterprise and big business, uh, then why are they attacking uh, the biggest revenue-generating business in the state of Florida, which is Disney World? Um, because Disney World took a First Amendment position uh, about um, other laws that were being passed in the state of Florida. The inconsistency is is unbelievable to me that that. And again, we talk about just the truth. The truth is 
Disney took, oh, finally, ultimately, took push, took a position, which is, as a company, they have their First Amendment rights, and now the government is taking action to penalize this large corporation and supplier of jobs they're trying to penalize them. I don't know if it's going to be effective because I think it's going to backfire, I mean, economically, but they're trying to penalize them for exercising their First Amendment rights in the state of Florida. You know who agrees, and, I, and yet, you know who agrees with you? I it, do. And so does Jenna Ellis since I brought her up because she says it's pure retaliation. And part of it, because I, I knew Jenna fairly well, she was a Disney fan of fans. I mean, she... Loved going to Disney World, Disneyland, all that sort of thing. But uh, I just wanted to bring that up. Keep going about Disney in Florida because that's a special relation that Floridians know better than I do. Yeah, I mean, you know, Disney World has been the pride of the Sunshine State for forever. And to think that because uh, they make a statement as a corporation, uh, which they certainly have the right to make, uh, they should be, shouldn't they be able to make a statement um, without uh, feeling that they can be persecuted by the state government for expressing an opinion? Absolutely. It just, it's, 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 it's crazy to me. You know, there was, there was also some talk early in COVID about early in COVID about uh, the president uh, of, I mean, the, the governor of Florida preventing professors from the state universities who disagreed with the governor's position on uh, COVID restrictions, that they were being prohibited as state employees from speaking at, uh, and providing their professional opinions. I mean, is that free speech? I, you know, are they for really for free speech or not for free speech? Because free speech is free speech. You should be able to say what you want, uh, and and uh, and that certainly includes the higher ups in the highest academic institutions in the state of Florida. So it, it's uh, the the cronyism. It, it's very very concerning. I'm a hope. I hope against hope. You know, DeSantis has to run for re-election this November, right. and I, I I feel like you know uh, like we saw with Trump's attempt. To be reelect, uh, his attempts to be reelected as president um, in the last election. You know, Trump theorizes that because Biden couldn't fill a stadium, uh, and because Trump could, that there's no way that the election was valid. Right? That's that's part of his supposition. And I feel like I I'm not going to go to a stadium to watch Joe Biden. I don't want to go to a stadium to have a rah-rah with any politicians. But I feel like there's a silent, a quiet majority of people, which we saw come out when it was time to vote, who said to themselves, I don't need to go to a campaign rally. I don't need to uh, to to drive around town with a big uh, flag, a Biden flag on the back of my pickup truck. I don't need to do those things. I'm going to speak my voice at the voting booth. And I think that's what happened to Trump. The reason Trump is so surprised is because he thinks everybody is like him. He thinks that that everybody wants to be a loudmouth like him. And not everybody does. And so my hope with DeSantis is that that same silent majority that rose up 
to tell Trump to pack his bags, will rise up in Florida to tell DeSantis to to pack his bags. I don't know. Um, I don't know yeah, that that's going to happen. I'm, 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 I'm a little worried the polling, because but, they're not. Yeah, but I hope inflation is not good. See, I'm a little older. I remember when Reagan beat Carter. Carter had uh, we we had inflation like this and a bit of a malaise. But Ron DeSantis is not my favorite, that's for sure. Neither is Donald Trump. And I think you identified it as authoritarianism. And I really worry about it. I never thought it would happen in my lifetime. It happened in my parents' lifetime. They always warned me. And it's feeling like uh, we, we've got radicals on the right, radicals on the left. And... Uh, you got Vladimir Putin, who you bring up 2022. Can you believe something like this is going on? I really think it is a battle between authoritarianism and freedom, and I'm rooting for freedom. And I'm worried about World War III being underway. Am I overreacting? Do I need to watch more sports, listen to more music, turn off the news? But this has me concerned, and what I tell my kids, a little older than yours, this ain't normal, what's going on right now. It's not normal. It's more serious. That's my perspective. How about you? I agree with you. Um, and I, I have the same message. I mean, I feel, and maybe it's I'm getting a little older too, but, you know, I feel some nostalgia for, you know, if you go back to 1990, we watched all of this fall apart in Europe. And we saw what we thought, I think, was that a better future for ourselves and for our kids in a world that was going to be dominated by true representative democracies around the world. Uh, you know, Eastern European uh, affiliate with the Soviet Union dropped over and over and we were there watching it. And there's, you know, there's there's great music from that era that if you go back in the, the lyrics, you know, uh, uh, you know, to be alive, to watch this all happen and the world wake up from history. Uh, there's a song by Jesus Jones. I don't know if you know that as a, a progressive band. That's, you know, I, I'm alive and I've been waiting and waiting and I'm here watching the world wake up from history. And now it feels like we're watching the world go right back to sleep uh, right. on history and forget the lessons of history. And uh, this nationalism and authoritarianism, authoritarianism that frankly, uh, Donald Trump helped create. You know, you'll hear people say that, uh, and Trump say, well, no invasion when I was president. You know, the fact of the matter is that there's no question that Putin wanted Donald Trump to win. Why? Because Donald Trump helps destabilize Western Europe. Donald Trump helps create the problems that Putin wants to have in existence so that he can further his desires to recreate the, the Soviet Union from an authoritarian uh, perspective. And, um, and so we're a contributor to this, this empowerment and, uh, and, and this movement uh, around the world. And you got to hope that, that we see it for what it is uh, you know, globally, maybe not the loudest screamers in, in society, but as uh, but the, the silent majority see, recognize and will support it. And, um, you know, 
I, I'm encouraged by two things. I looked up when this war started, and I don't know if you've looked at it, but the military budget in U.S. dollars of uh, Russia last year, and then you look at the military budget of uh, take United States, Germany, uh, you know, some of the bigger uh, members of NATO, and you look at the by comparison, uh, the power doesn't exist. The 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 ability to outside of nuclear uh, options, right? The, the power doesn't exist, and I think it's being borne out that the the so that that this what what the Soviet Union in part caused its collapse is it it, it couldn't finance its military machine, and I don't think Russia is in a really in a much better position to do so. And so my and I and I think that that it's that that's being shown that Ukraine is um, is steadfast and fighting with the, the technology and the weapons that are being provided by the Western countries. And uh, and I just I don't think that despite Putin's wishes, Russia doesn't have the strength to replicate, uh, you know, what what Germany did uh, back in, in World War II. I, I'm hopeful of that. So you see, I'm hopeful. I've got some hope, Craig. I, I hope that there's a silent majority, and I, I hope that, that, that uh, you know, that NATO stands strong, and I hope that we don't allow it to become fractionalized. In some part, you, you think, like, if Trump had another four years, would there even be a NATO? Right. Would America might, be part of it? He might have another know. four years. He might run again. And you quoted a song. Let me quote Mike and the Mechanics, one of my favorite songs, all I need is a miracle. And we kind of got one with Zelensky in Ukraine. You talk about tough and resilient. Don't you admire that? And your life is all about resilience. Your book is about resilience. And then the other thing we've talked about is the truth. And if you want to know what's the right side, Putin has kicked out all the journalists. He hates the truth. So does right. Trump. That's why they say the media is the enemy of the people. You know, that's what tyrants have said from day one. Can't we figure this out, folks? Yes. But anyway, uh, yeah. But they, they know they know that it works, Craig. And um, by way of example, the vast majority of people that uh, at least if you look at Polls, maybe the polls are wrong, uh, but what you hear about people in Russia is that they support the government, that right. they believe that they're uh, they're exterminating Nazism in Ukraine. Uh, can you believe that? I mean, you get you what you pay me? for. It's like the insurance companies with their advertisements. We're like a good neighbor. We'll yeah. be there for you. It's all about you, really. Um, exactly. We know different. I... I can't tell you how grateful I am to talk to you about these things. And you are, by nature, resilient, optimistic, and I like that. Um, but I just worry if people decide to shut up. You know, you think about people in Ukraine who spoke up against Putin, and now they're being targeted. That's what authoritarians do. And the way Trump calls out the press and calls out his enemies, it, it's disgusting. And... In our practice of law, there's some professionalism involved. I've written about this. Donald Trump is just anathema to the legal system, right? I mean, and with the legal system goes the rest of the country. You know how I feel and, and how you've been involved in, in the highest levels of fighting for people's rights. 
run with it and where are we going and what what makes the difference well i i i hope that the people make the difference and you look at that president of ukraine i i was um i, I mean a, a line that should go down in history is you know his line about uh, i don't need a ride i need more weapons you know i mean that just the 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 courage that that the people have shown and i think he's like that, you you know why you ready i don't know well, why first he yes. works out all the time he's in great shape second of all the guy is a lawyer did you know that Vladimir Zelensky went to law I, school. He's a lawyer, but then he decided I maybe can do better and fulfill myself as an actor, as a you oh, know yes. actor comedian. And he did shows that your mama would have loved. And he, so he's got yes. the extrovert, but he's he's got cojones, or as we say in Hebrew, which is appropriate, beitzim, which means eggs. <laughs> I mean. This guy's got the fortitude, <laughs> and he's in. A, to me, he's he's like the leader of the Western world now. I pray for him all the time to survive, and he's got two beautiful kids too—a boy and a girl, a beautiful wife. Gosh, what a struggle he's in! Well, isn't it amazing? And it it starts with him at the top, of course, from a leadership perspective. But the 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 regular people there who have now experienced, uh, I don't know exactly, 30, some, 30 years uh, of freedom, um, and they're willing to do everything to maintain freedom. Um, and I know that freedom is a large word, and it wasn't perfect there, as it's not perfect anywhere, but you know, just that 30-year taste as... Uh, given them a thirst to do anything, to not go the other direction as a, as a group of people. They want to be free. And it it's not lost on me that um, here we sit in the United States having achieved centuries of uh, not imperfect uh, freedom, certainly for large segments. It hasn't been centuries of our society, but uh, imperfect uh, ideal of freedom, and yet we seem to be okay with um, with maybe giving some of that up uh, to uh, to bow down to uh, a, a, a very old way of thinking by a very small group of people uh, that want to uh, ignore diversity, ignore individual. Uh, freedoms, ignore uh, the fact that not everybody has to think the way that you do to live in uh, in a society with others and uh, who are afraid that uh, that if you say the word gay, that it's going to make somebody gay that doesn't want to be gay or that's not already like the, the, the small mindedness um, it matters because we're slowly uh, trying to dissolve away the progress that we've made as a country on our own in the last uh, 30 years. So it's, it's just, it's a dichotomy of uh, how it's being recognized by the Ukraine citizens, how important it is. 
and how we're moving in the opposite direction seemingly with uh, with parts of our society. And that's why I hope, I think, and I, I rely upon the younger generations too, I really do have hope, Craig, that there's a silent majority of people who say, I don't have to jump up and shout it from a mountaintop, but when I get the opportunity, so long as I get the opportunity, which the voting stuff mm-hmm. concerns me, right? But so long as I get the opportunity to do it fairly, that that truth will prevail, that diversity will prevail, that individualism will prevail, that that we can all be of different colors, minds, uh, and and we can all live beautifully together and respect one another. I really believe that that can happen. Um, and I, and I believe we're, 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 we're on the right track, um, to make it happen, but for this, uh, very scared group of people who believe that, um, that letting people live their own lives in some way is going to negatively impact theirs. Beautifully said. And that's great optimism. And I'm with you. It's the people who will stand in the way, just like Trump wanted that second term. He would have gotten us out of NATO. The people rose up and said, no, we're not going to do it. Putin wanted Ukraine, and Zelensky and the people there said, no, no way. So the people have to stand up, and there are leaders like you in the community willing to lend your voice and write a book about truth called Unthinkable. Even when the truth is hard, you have to confront it Kyle, I am so grateful for you spending so much time. This podcast is dedicated to your late mother, Margaret, Big Sissy. And she was known as Big Sissy because she was like a big sister to the grandkids. Everybody has that special relationship. I'm sorry your kids didn't get to know her longer, but you did her justice with this book and uh, your legacy. Wonderful thing you and your siblings did. Way to go. Well, thank you very much, Craig. Um, And I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be here uh, today on the second anniversary uh, on behalf of my mom and my family. And, um, and I, uh, you know, you and I are are, are good friends and I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you reaching out after my mom was killed. Um, And I appreciate, um, you know, our our relationship and, and everything you've done for me over the years as well. Well, you are one of the leaders in Colorado and the country, and you've got a lot ahead of you, Kyle Backus. All the best. Thanks again. All right. Thank you, Craig. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, You know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can 
dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. All right, here we go. Troubadour Dave Gunders, how are you? I am well, Craig. How are you? I'm good. I'm fit from all our dog walking. I think we had quite a week, and that background noise maybe is Skylar chewing on a bone. Life is good for this dog. Is Psycho chewing too, or is she just watching? No, they're both chewing away. Are they both are? As long as it's not my ankle. If that's my background music. <laughs> You still haven't asked me to be a background singer, but you are starting a new album. There's still time. I don't think you've done the background music yet. Life is long, Craig. You never know. Tell everybody what you did on your next musical project this week without giving too much away. I started yesterday uh, recording rhythm tracks on three songs. So yesterday was my day. I consider it day one. And I know you were happy about it because we took some long walks and I took a picture of a rainbow and I posted it on Twitter. You know who retweeted it and caused me to get 500 likes? Who? Kyle Clark. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. He follows me. I like him. Kent is where Madeline Albright went to school in Denver, graduated in 55. But I think the school was actually in Denver back then, which is why it's called Kent Denver, even though it's actually just south of Denver now and not in Denver County, but in Arapahoe County. Well, that's almost interesting. Well, I think it is, because that's where Madeline Albright went, and her funeral was plenty interesting to me. And she's a Denver girl, and we should celebrate that. Just like Golda Meir went to high school in Denver. And like how she was a world leader, a world female leader. Yes, you taught me that yesterday. And you that, don't care about these things. Well, do I do. I care about Madeline Albright, and I think that our show should go out to her and her family. It's going out to her, but also to Margaret Backus, because my buddy Kyle Backus, who did a tremendous interview with me, he's got it all. And their billboards announce $1 billion for their client wins. That's a lot of wins. And he has been a winner. But two years ago, today, as we tape on this Thursday, April 28, Yomaha's show at Day of Remembrance for the Holocaust, his poor mother, who they called Big Sis, he got run over by a concrete cement mixer truck. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, that's awful news. And last week you had a song that was about your mama, who you loved more than anything in the world, and Kyle loved his mom. And, you know, I don't understand it. We've all lost our moms. And 
bad things happen, but then there are good things that happen, like you and this song, which is rocking, the furthest thing from down, although a little sexist. Well, <laughs> how's that? Well, I'm going to get to that, but <laughs> okay. before then, our our walks, what about that one bird we heard? Do you remember that? Oh, the most I beautiful bird in the world? All, just the small bird, almost like a little robin, but I don't know what, it was at the top of the tree, we couldn't identify it, but just beautiful voice. Here's why your song is sexist. Are you ready? Okay. Because you are very narcissistic in this song. You talk about how it's a full-time job just to make you happy. Right. And you're a man, so I assume you expect a woman to take care of you. And as it happened, Kyle and I were talking, not that Edie is that kind of woman, but she's like a girl Friday, and it's vital and everybody should have one, not all of us do, but somebody, it doesn't have to be a woman, who just tells you, sort of like your wife does with you, do this, do that, go here, go there. But every day in your work life, instead of you making your schedule, somebody else says, you've got this at 10, go here at 11.30. It's helpful, wouldn't you agree? I'd run. But you have this song about it's a full-time job just to make you happy. But, but I, it's Craig, like no, fantasizing about such a person. I think you're projecting your own thoughts on this, Craig, because no, actually, when I wrote the song, first of all, you're assuming that it's autobiographical, which, you know, it's a song, okay? It could be about me or anyone else, but in terms of the full-time job, yes, this person is narcissistic, but there's nothing about uh, his needing a woman to keep him happy. Though The world has to keep him happy. Now, wait a second. Your last album was titled what? Uh, the last album was Troubadour. And at the end of this song, what do you say? Of what? Which song? Of this song. Oh. Full Time Chuck. Me, I'm a troubadour walking. That's right. And we've had this segment. We're coming up this episode 94. We've really had 96. Two of them were troubadour specials. Do you know who that was named after? Uh, Dave Gunders? Yes. <laughs> so when you say this song's not autobiographical, do you mind if I say bullshit? Because I don't mind. Me, I'm a troubadour walking. You give it away? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got me on that one. But it was not about a woman. He was not wanting, his happiness would not be attained by a woman, rather by um, people moving aside and letting him be who he wants to be. I like this song. You know what you do that's unusual? You give away the ending right at the start. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a full-time job just to make me happy. And right. then you come back with a happy ending, same sort of thing. And it's apropos of Kyle Backus because that guy works his ass off. He's got so many, you know, pans on the fire, four different locations for his law firm, busy family man, practice in Florida, Colorado. Anyway, it's a full-time job to keep him happy, but you're the same kind of guy. But he wrote a book, too. I mean, imagine writing a book about this tragedy, turning a tragedy into something more positive for other people. I just admire that so much. And in your song, you say there's a story in a book, and uh, we're talking about a book. To me, you know I like... Uh, authors. I just admire somebody with the tenacity to write a book. It's a lot for me to write a column. 
Well, that's right. I mean, for him to have written a book about his mother's, you know, the experience of his mother being taken out so quickly like that. I mean, to, to turn it into something that he could that he could share with people and and uh, uh, it must have been therapeutic as well. I think I think that was probably a really good thing for him. Right, just like you writing a song about your mom, and uh, I got to figure out ways to pay tribute to my mom, but. The thing about Kyle's mom, they called her Big Sissy, and she was into theater. She liked show business. And I'll tell you, this is a show-offy song. The riffs, the guitar riffs, the wailing. I like this song. It starts out rocking, and it keeps going. I like it, too. Thanks for choosing it. Let's let everybody give a listen to Full-Time Job by our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Well, it's a full-time job to keep me happy There she goes again Saying I ain't fitting in Yeah, she's right as rain Cause I jumped off the track
Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, if you like this show, please shout it out on your Purple Apple podcast app. It would be so wonderful if you would scroll down, spot that place to leave a five-star review and your personal review. Kind words appreciated. Thanks so much. Tell your friends. Hey, I told you this was going to be a great show. Thanks, Kyle Backus. What a great guest. Your book, Unthinkable. It will help a lot of people order it. Unthinkable, real answers for families confronting catastrophic injury or death. J. Kyle Backus, Esquire. Thanks, Troubadour. Full-time job to keep you happy. That was all about you. Troubadour walking. You can't fool me. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. Subscribe. Five stars. You know what to do. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.